0: As Martha said, our goal is to tell the full story, uh, both of our need for God and our resistance, the, the very acts of love that God uh, is giving on our behalf, and also God's ability to overcome that. And so the confession is one part, a reflection on the cross and Jesus, and now the pardon. So that is uh, the telling of the fuller story, the ultimate truth. Uh, and we had a discussion about how to set that up. Like, what Do we, do we say the pardon? Do we, and the word is declare. This is just telling you the truth. Uh, Speaking it over you. So here the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus has walked the way of self-giving love for us. He lived our life. He died our death. And he has exchanged our broken humanity for life abundant. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and freed. And you'll say that back to me. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven and freed. Amen. So uh, let's just sort of set things up today. Uh, It is the start of a new sermon series called The Divine Exchange. It is uh, now the season of Lent. There is a certain uh, sort of tone to what we're doing, as we've sort of already seen, uh, of confession and pardon, of telling the story of both death and resurrection. And what I like about Lent, uh, what I like about the story of Jesus, is that it is honest. We don't have to pretend. In fact, part of the deal with Lent is to very intentionally stop pretending or stop living in denial or stop avoiding things that we might need to see. And we trust that there's grace enough to see, uh, see things that are maybe hard to look at or maybe that we've avoided. And there's a time when we're able to kind of step into the light of God's grace and, and deal with stuff. And that's not a burden. It's not too much. It's not all at once. It's not everything. It's not... It is just by God's grace, step by step, we're able to see things that are hard to see and find that there's grace enough for that thing too. That, in fact, in the very places where we would expect there to be no hope, that is actually where, where there is the most And so we begin on Ash Wednesday. Some of you were here for our Ash Wednesday service. And over the last decade or so, people sort of started just kind of showing up for that. And I think it's because it's honest. I think there's an authenticity to it as we tell the real story and um, don't hide from it. In fact, we sort of put it uh, in the sign of the cross and ashes on our foreheads. We bring it to the fore, literally. And the music is remarkable. I think there's just something to that as well. But I think we're all looking for something like that. Instead of trying to explain away or hide from our stuff or argue about it or blame other people? Can we just kind of bring it to the fore and bring it to the front and and say, gosh, if God isn't able to do something with this, we're in trouble. But gather and hope that maybe that we're not in trouble, that God is able to, to do something, in fact, remarkable. Instead of living in denial, as we spend much of our time doing, think about how much energy we spend sort of kind of not, not dealing with stuff. We declare on Ash Wednesday, from the dust we've come to the dust we will return, and yet God's grace is at work in our broken humanity. So Mal- Malcolm Guy has some, said something about Ash Wednesday that gets at those symbols that I think helps us today. He says, for the ash that is left after purging fires, it's actually a fertilizer, a life enabler, a source of new growth, the very place where there has been loss. Now there is new possibility. We place these unpromising leavings of the garden on the, on the garden and the new things bloom. The cross of ash becomes a deeper symbol still for what is destroyed. And the emblem of that is the destructiveness is sin itself. And this is what he says. and a daring and beautiful creative reversal, God takes the worst that we can do to him and turns it into the very best he could do for us. And we're naming that as the divine exchange, this thing that God does in us, in the world, in situations, in our lives, that takes the very worst and turns it into the ultimate best. And uh, so for the season of Lent, we are giving you a symbol of that. Hopefully you got this when you came in. Everybody get get across. If you didn't get one, there are some in the... Welcome center, um, the atrium as you go, we sort of, I think we handed out four things today. So it's a little bit of a challenge to give, get you lots, lots of stuff in your hands. Um, the other thing was this, uh, called it a prayer thing. It is a ca- calendar uh, that you can use to pray through, through land. And you might, you know, put these two together and take, kind of take your cross and re- remember it and during prayer time kind of hold on to it. But I'll tell you what I was thinking uh, with this, uh, this uh, particular thing, the, the cross, the hand cross. Uh, we did not make those, by the way. They were forged out of the uh, internet. Um, we found found those, but they kind of do look like handmade, don't they? Um, that was yeah. I worked on that joke too much. So the um, the, here's the here's the the thinking of this particular hand cross during Lent, uh, which is that we need sometimes to be disrupted. And so I think of this as uh, like you're going to have to figure out how to incorporate this into your daily life. The goal, the challenge, is for you to show up next. Sunday and still have it, and if you don't, then you lose it. Lent, sorry, we can't help you. (laughs) No, of course you can get another one. We'll order more, Uh, but uh, the 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 goal is for you to have incorporated this. This is it. That's the the, this is the the challenge of the week is to have incorporated this thing into your life. So you have to keep up with it. I think about when I got glasses. Uh, What I didn't realize was that I was used to, when I was going out the house. I was used to counting to three. My wallet. My phone, my keys, wallet phone, one, two, three. And then I would count three and I would end up with three things. But when I had glasses, I had four. So it was some mix of those three, but it wasn't all of them at once because I hadn't incorporated the glasses into my life. It messed up my glasses. I was like, I left the glasses in weird places. I'm not going to tell you all the places I left, weird places. But I also get out the door, and I would have my glasses, and I have my wallet, and I have my keys, but on my phone. You get what I'm saying? Like, it, it, like you have to incorporate things. So I'm going to count. Ask you to count one higher from whatever your things are during Lent. So you've got three things. Now you got four. If You have four things. You got five. You got five things. You need to get a bigger purse or a bigger, you know, like a bag or something. I don't know. But the goal is for you t- for this to disrupt your life so that you're, you're having to remember to where is it? Uh, and to um, like maybe be digging in your pocket for something and find it there. So that it just becomes, does that make sense? Incorporate it into your life in a practical way to keep the cross before us as that symbol of God who takes the very worst that we could do and turns it into his very best for us. And that is the divine exchange. And that is a thing that is happening. So back to we declare the pardon. We're just telling the full story of both brokenness and redemption, of emptiness and fullness, of sin and forgiveness, of death and resurrection. And it's so easy to maybe tell one side or the other, to tell the the hard part and kind of stay there in that stuck place. Or skip all of the tough stuff and only live in you know nona land and kind of in denial or just wanting feeling like we it's too heavy and we just need we need the good stuff. Lent helps us tell both sides of the story and to not live in denial of that and not be surprised by it. That that there is both and that there are hard parts of this story that can also be redeemed. So this helps us know where the, where we're headed. I've told this story many times, but when in 1997, when the movie Titanic came out, Jenny and I went to see it at the movie theater. We never go to the opening or whatever, and we went. And so we were talking about it at church the next morning, uh, and one of the little girls in our youth group said, Don't tell me about that movie. I don't want to know how it ends. Like Eva Sweetie, the boat sinks. No surprise. But this does surprise us, I think. We get, we get kind of tripped up over crosses or things that are hard to look at, the worst of the worst that happens to us or our world. We, um, we still are struggling with the fact that we are not as we were intended to be, that there are parts of us that, are, uh, that are, aren't as beautiful and that there are parts of our lives that aren't working. And we certainly get tripped up as we look at the world around us and we wonder, And the true test of every time and every place and every person and every situation is do we believe that there is grace enough for this thing too? So Lent helps us know and and not forget where this, this is headed. And it helps us to look at life in a different way. So the other thing we're going to do during Lent is kind of take on our idea of what success in life looks like anyway. Like, what what our personal vision for the good life is. And we're going to keep holding that up to the cross and say, do those really match up? Or is it working as well as we think it is? The message of the cross doesn't look good to a personal vision of individual success. In our terms, I don't think. The way of self-giving love at whatever cost, that seems like too high, high a price to pay, we say. The call to be disciples of a crucified Savior seems ridiculous in a lot of ways. We would rather do life on our own terms. We'll choose it every time. And the cross keeps kind of confronting that. We want to do life in our own way and in our own power, and then we convince ourselves that it is somehow working. It makes me think of a commercial from the Super Bowl several, several years ago uh, of a little boy who was trying to use his power in a specific way, and it, it wasn't working in, in, in the way that he thought. Let's watch. Uh, I don't think there were any commercials last week that were as maybe good as that one. That was uh, like 10 years ago. That car, you could buy that Volkswagen for $20,000, by the way. Who wouldn't like to go back in time a little bit? I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look at us in that same kind of way where we're going through life trying to make it happen and, 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 and force this thing that doesn't actually exist, doesn't actually work, All because the way of Jesus just doesn't seem like we we have to sort of say yes to that over our our own way. And in this series, we want to kind of keep coming to that personal vision of success, whatever success means, and maybe this unspoken thing that we don't even name. Doing life on my terms and asking, is that really working for us? Some of the things we're hearing, some of the things we're seeing. Uh, loneliness has grown to such a point that we're naming this as a loneliness epidemic. And there are a lot of factors to this, and we can kind of get into it as as maybe time goes on, but over 42% of adults said last year that they uh, felt uh, connected to others, only 42, which means half of us are feeling disconnected in some way. Uh, The Surgeon General last year named this as a a public health advisory. It's the most widespread health issue of our time and what we're understanding about loneliness and you know with it kind of other things that we name diagnoses that we have that maybe that the root cause to a lot of diseases that we are naming is our disconnect from one another like we're able to diagnose certain things but the real diagnosis is that we are trying to do this individual thing we're the most individualistic people that have ever existed on the face of the planet, and it creeps into the ways we think about our, our lives. But the outflow of that, where it comes out on the sides, what we're seeing is that it's not so so good. That, In fact, the Surgeon General is naming the mortality impact of being disconnected from others is similar to that of, uh, that's caused by smoking up to uh, 15 cigarettes a day. kind of gives us a, a frame of reference. In terms of our work, we're we're seeing that workers are struggling. Eighty-nine percent of workers have experienced burnout in the last year accompanied by symptoms of physical fatigue, cognitive weariness, emotional exhaustion. I'm guessing that some of you know those feelings. You're you're feeling that in some way or another. Eighty-three percent of Americans deal with work-related stress in a way that is unhealthy for them. I think we can just look at our news feeds, and I'm not the kind of person or pastor who likes to kind of take every public crisis and and announce it and say that the world is, you know, is terrible. I just think we can look in our news feeds and see shootings at Super Bowl celebrations and wars in our holy lands. Do you hear the irony of that? and the destruction to the very earth itself, and say, maybe, maybe, maybe now is the time for us to say our version of doing life on our terms and our version of what success and prosperity looks like needs to be looked at. That maybe Lent this year is a chance for us to name something that we've been trying to avoid, which is that it's happening to all of us. And that's not just an individual thing. It's kind of a, a corporate, it's, 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 it's all around us. And it's in the water that we're swimming so much so that we don't know that there's another way. We don't have an alternative in our minds. We just do kind of the thing that everybody's doing. Maybe we need a different goal. Maybe we need a different way of thinking. And to name what that that version of success looks like. And so during Lent, we're going to do that. It makes me think of a, a couple of stories. One um, uh, that I'll share now. the um, When I was in high school, I was part of 4-H. For In fact, I was in 4-H for 10 years. Anybody else like a 10-year 4-H? Head, hearts, hands, health. Good job. And... Um, a big part of my life. And we, I was part of 4-H shooting sports, meaning like, you know, target practice um, and um, bow and arrow and that kind of stuff. And so we were at the the county fair, the 4-H fair in Spencer County, Indiana, which is the bigger, the bigger fair, the bigger deal. And um, where it's the show, as we call it. And um, the news showed up and was wanting a, a, like a feel-good news story. So they said, hey, you guys are going to shoot, our archery here. We'd like to, you know, like to get that on the nightly news live. And now our, our my anxiety was kind of like going off. And um, so we had two hay bales with our our you know targets on them. And they said, is there a way we can kind of snazz this up a little bit? Like, what if you shoot something else? Like balloons. So somehow we got to the idea we we're gonna put balloons and so like live TV, get ready, one, two, three, boom. <laughs> and I popped the balloon. Yay! The problem was, I hit the wrong target. So I, I, I was aiming at this one, and I hit this one. And on WFIE TV 14 news, nobody on that broadcast knew the one thing that I knew, that I, hit, I had hit the wrong target. Uh, the Gospels invite us to consider what our target is, and to be honest about whether we're hitting it. And we find that way, that, that alternative in Mark's gospel. And uh, today begins actually throughout the rest of the year. We're going to spend most of our time in Mark and John's gospels, mostly in the stories of Jesus. This is the introduction of Jesus uh, to us in Mark. Mark 1, 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, or as Mark often says, immediately, the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here's something to understand uh, about Mark. Uh, And and really about the way we read Scripture in general. This may be the most obvious thing in the world to, to some of us. And there may be somebody who's like, I just never realized this. As we read the Bible... And it's this, that Mark didn't write this as it happened, right? So Mark wasn't g- getting his journal out. It's like, oh, goodness, there's something here. I'm going to k- k- take an eyewitness account in the moment and then write it down each day as it happens. And then pff, when, we, w- when this thing plays out, we're going to have a gospel. That's not, that's not how it happened. And most of what we read in the Bible is writing about a time, but is written after that time. That may seem like the most obvious thing, but we don't always think about what that means. And what it means in this case is that John is writing knowing that the Titanic sinks. He knows the story as it plays out. He's part of a community that's living into this thing that has happened to the world through Jesus. And he understands the implications in a way that he didn't actually when this original thing happened is happening. He's writing from that perspective. And what I think Mark understands, what that means is, what I think Mark understands, that this is actually the critical moment in the life of Jesus that is coming out of one life and into another. And if you understand that, it's a lot bigger deal than those very quick, very succinct verses of Mark. He's very very quick. There's a lot in what he says, but he he leaves Nazareth and he goes to the Jordan to be baptized. And that is a multi-day event right there. He's leaving a, a place where he is, is, has been raised, is where his people are. It's a, it's a comfortable place. It's one life. And he's very intentionally leaving that life and going into another one. And he does that to go and, and, and stand in line with other sinners, with, with, sin, with people, to stand with them to be baptized. And if we understand that this is like a critical turning point in Jesus's life, this is his his coming out of a private life into a public life. Uh, we might think of other ways to do this. There might have been a lot of other options. And in the way so in our personal kind of version of success and the way our world works, if somebody wants to be discovered, what do they do? They make a, a splash, not literally like Jesus did. They make a, they they call attention to themselves in some way. They go on American Idol and they sing terrible, but they they get a contract or. We uh, find ways to, to go and make a social media-like presence, or like we, we call attention to our, ourselves. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes down. The way Jesus is discovered is that he went down into the water, having lived out his life in Nazareth, he goes and gets in line, and he begins to walk the path that other people it's the, it's the walk it's the it's the, the path of regular human existence it is him living into the life of people like us uh, it is the way of humility it's the way of sacrifice and service and all of that's being chosen right right here the very beginning He's going to forge our path. He is going to walk this path with us and for us. He's going to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And from this moment on, it is step by step that, with the cross in the in the in the the, the background, walking faithfully, that forging that path. It's another story I was thinking of. Uh, this involves some people in the room. But a, a few years ago, we were kayaking and the water was too high, and we kind of. Actually got almost got into a little bit of trouble uh, on the Cumberland River. and so we got off uh, gratefully, got kind of safely to the shore uh, in the current. But the problem was uh, we had been pushed down river a couple hundred yards, maybe not even that, but not anywhere close to the takeout. There wasn't a path. And the, the, the riverbanks right there, there are some places where it's like cliff faces, but the riverbanks, like on the Cumberlands, sometimes are very steep and full of, I mean, just impenetrable, right? So we're like, okay, we're safe, everything's fine, now what? And it's like, boom, path up of uh, briars and poison ivy and things. So what did we do? We took the paddles and we started like, I felt like Daniel Boone, like kind of hacking through the, the, the stuff to get out of the river. And we were just grateful, honestly, to be able to do that uh, and, and got out. And um, knew that there was poison ivy involved in this situation, so went immediately and washed ourselves and took showers and all that stuff, and it did not matter. So the next day, just literally covered in poison ivy. Jesus forged a path, a a path with the thorns and the challenges. This is Jesus going into the water, claiming a story that's not really his own, right? A story of repentance, and that's even questioned, you know, in some of the other Gospels, why are you doing this? A story of death, and then life, where he didn't have to walk into any of that. He's stepping into it very humbly. And then out of that humility, the heavens open up. And there's a claim on Jesus, this is my son in whom, I love, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And the, the sign of the Holy Spirit in the dove. And literally every moment from this moment on is lived from that place of connectedness and love and service, sacrifice, hacking through the challenges of this world. Our version of success is usually some way of doing uh, my thing, my way. But what we see in Jesus is just the opposite. How he will now live for God and others. How How he will face things he wouldn't have had to face. That he will not climb a ladder of success, but climb uphill the way that leads to a cross. And we're just setting this up today, and we're going we're to allow the cross to kind of keep disrupting us over the next weeks. But here's where I want to land. Mark wants us to understand that that, of, of what that is, of what, what's really happening there, is the entrance into something new. God doing something different in the world. The kingdom of heaven having come near. Jesus is off, you know, like in the thorns in, in the wilderness, Uh, Being tempted by Satan and Mark wants us to understand that as he comes back out of that, what he is doing is inviting us into something new. That this is our invitation to a fuller life that we won't choose on our own. Because it doesn't look like our version of success and thriving. But that in fact, this is the way to real life. So let me close with the words of Mary Healy, who writes uh, this about uh, Mark in her introduction to his gospel. When Mark wrote his gospel to become a follower of Jesus, it was a radical decision. It could mean incurring disapproval or outright rejection from friends and family. It could entail close fellowship with people that you would not have even wanted to be around previously. The wealthy with slaves, the devout with the decadent, the Jewish nationalist with the Roman soldier... You hear that, a world coming together. For the educated, it could mean enduring the ridicule of former colleagues for the absurdity of following a carpenter from a backwater village who had suffered the most shameful form of capital punishment. And for many, the Christian faith would result in imprisonment, torture, and death. Yet, as you read Mark's work, you're impressed by his overwhelming joy. Mark is fairly bursting with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen from the dead. For Mark, the life and times of Jesus aren't just an edifying story. It is an event that has changed the course of world history. It is, in fact, the history coming to its culmination. It is what makes sense of and brings to completion all that God did through his people, Israel. And it is good news that has changed Mark's own life. Mark writes in such a way as to invite his readers to embark on that same adventure. Like the characters in Mark's gospel, readers are challenged to respond to the provocative words and the astounding deeds of the carpenter in Nazareth. And so we hear this today as an invitation That we can choose or reject an invitation to a divine exchange. In the words of 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that out of his poverty we might become rich. This is the divine exchange. That he who was whole became broken, so that we who are broken could be made whole. This is the divine exchange that that lifeless way of living that we choose over and over and over again and call it success is being exchanged for something better. A way that looks a lot to us like a path toward a cross and following a crucified Savior. So as we uh, uh, pray here, I invite you to grab your cross and um, to join me as we consider that invitation today. God, we hear this story of Jesus and we, we admit that there are parts of it we don't understand, or parts that kind of go against the way we would naturally do things. But they, we also admit there are signs all around us that our way isn't working as well as we thought it, it, it was, as, as much as we'd like to think that it is. That in our own anxiety, our own loneliness, our own lack of purpose, our own sense of not belonging. We long for the heavens to open up and for us to hear what Jesus heard. This is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. We admit that there are there are really signs if we're able to have the courage to look. There are signs all around that our way of life as a people isn't working and that we're seeing it personally in our Anxiety or fear, or in our addictions, in our frustrations. And as we hold this cross today, God, we imagine what it would be like to follow Jesus, follow in, follow in a different way, to consciously choose. A very different way the way of love and sacrifice the way of living for you and for others so God I pray that if there's someone in in the room today who wants to say yes to that in a, in a clear way for the first time that you would bless them in that decision and it would be a important moment in their life. I pray for a lot of us in the room who kind of go about kind of in the middle, kind of doing both things, your way and our way. I pray that you would help us to continually do what Jesus did, lay down one life for another. God, also pray for the person or people in this room who are in the midst of the thing that seems unredeemable. You pray for the one who's, who's wondering, is there really enough grace for this? And our hearts are together with those who are struggling in that that way today. And so would you do what only you can do and speak into each of our hearts with the good news of Jesus, that there is grace enough for this and more, that there is life and life to the full, life abundant in the very places where we see only death. And in those places of sin and brokenness you are making all things new and it is happening in us and it is happening in our world for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and who have the courage to take those steps with Christ the steps that he has taken for us. And so we end our prayer in deep gratitude and awe for the one who took our worst and gave us God's best, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our friend and our brother. In his name we pray, amen. Well, uh, the other thing we're going to do today is, as we come up to the offering is uh, tell the story of the foundry as one of those places. Uh, It was one of those places where we might not expect uh, big things and where we have felt God's call to see that divine exchange of uh, possibility and newness and leadership uh, and a, a real change in this world. Uh, so um, before we take up our offering, I wanna and our dollar differences for the Foundry this month, I want to show a video, and I'm going to invite Krista Steenbergen up, one of our folks from 930 here, and um, uh, one of the people in this room that is part of the Foundry. So let's watch together.
1: My name is Dr. Terry Daniels. I'm the executive director of the Foundry Christian Community Center. The Foundry was founded by the South Central District of the United Methodist Churches. In 2015, they began the first preschool class. Every child has the opportunity to learn and excel. Regardless of their beginning, regardless of their background, regardless of their challenges, we believe they can learn and be ready to excel from the education and we believe that we can
2: change their lives. The mission of the Foundry has always been based on spiritual development, the educational development, and the health and wellness development. All three of those aspects need to be nurtured. All three of those aspects require people to give of their time, and again of their talents.
3: What we do is help get these kids prepared to be in kindergarten. We use what's called creative curriculum. It's also used by Warren County Public Schools. They learn to speak in complete sentences. They increase their vocabulary. They learn numbers and shapes. If we can educate
1: our children in that three, four, and five-year-old age range, we can set them up for success.
3: We are in the all-stars program and we are a level five, which is the highest level in state of Kentucky. That's based upon your curriculum. It's also based upon the education of your teachers. These teachers love the students, they get to know the parents, and it's just a wonderful program.
1: Our culture is a culture of love. We are going to love our children above no other. When you get that standard set, then you can begin to educate and they're more receptive to learning because their environment is is right. Their environment is
2: good. When people get involved at the Foundry and they see those young lives being touched it instills what we are doing to not only change the West End but change our community and change the trajectory of lives. That's what it's all about is the legacy that's left.
3: My child attends here at the Foundry. She is the third child that I have brought to the Foundry. In a positive way, they've been teaching my kids to care about other people. I can see that reflect at home. For me, foundries, it's family. Every day when the door opens for a class to go in the gym, you hear these squeals of joy to get on the bicycles and play with their friends. So every day is a wonderful day for me. The Foundry is doing a job I don't think anybody else was doing before. This is a good place with good people, working for the people.
2: If I was talking to a potential board member at the Foundry, I would tell them get involved Once those individuals see the difference that's being made, they realize that they can bring their time, talents, and treasures to this ministry and continue to make a difference.
1: This West End area has a lot of untapped potential. And if we can put that into our children, we can make a difference at the Foundry. One child at a time, one family at a time, and one community at a time.
0: Would you welcome Krista Steenbergen with me? Hello.
4: Thank you.
0: So, yeah, it looks different from sitting over here, which is like y'all's spot to, to hear. A lot so, different, yes. Yeah, thank so thank you. And real quickly, tell us you know, like you, your role at Foundry and kind of what gets you up in front of us today.
4: Okay. My name is Krista Steenbergen, and I'm the donor relations person at the Foundry. When I found out about its existence, I was retiring from WKU and you know looking for something meaningful to do with my time, and gosh, what an amazing place! I, I can't say enough about it. But we can't exist without you guys, of course. Right. So, so
0: the foundry was a kind of bird, It was birthed in the atrium. We kind of say and kind of had a vision of God at work, and uh, over the course of time. Um, is making a, an impact. So we're starting to see a, a record, a kind of a, a track his, uh, history of results, right? So kind of help us understand the impact that we're happen, having at Yes,
4: the so one of the biggest thing that stands out to me is that our students at the foundry, um, first of all, we're located in the west end of Bowling Green, which is one of the most economically disadvantaged areas in the state. And our students, when they leave the foundry, which is a preschool, um, are... 90, I think it's 95, we have a 95% readiness rate for them to go to kindergarten. And the state's rate, I heard on the news, dropped this year to around 44%. So we're preparing these children, who in a lot of cases may not even speak great English when they get to us and those kind of things. And we're preparing them for kindergarten at public schools so that they can be successful. And the thing about... um, you know, a rising tide affecting all ships, it definitely does. And so it's, it's um, lifting the entire community yeah, by so taking there, care of this area. So there's
0: a family engagement piece. There's a kind of wider community engagement piece that helps yes. kind of all of it kind of creating a different mm-hmm. environment.
4: So there's there. an expectation that parents be involved at the foundry. So we're not only preparing these children to go to school, but we're teaching, in a lot of cases, families how to be families.
0: Yeah, so there's a culture of love and grace and acceptance that just kind of keeps mm-hmm. going outward.
4: It's it's crazy when you run into the teachers there in the summers and say, are you ready for school to start? You don't hear, oh, I'm loving my vacation. I don't want to go mm. back. You hear, I can't wait
0: mm. to see yeah. my
4: children. I, I can't wait to get back in there.
0: It speaks to an investment a lot of people have made. In fact, there's some people who've worked at the foundry in the room. Would you kind of stand, uh, board members or staff members, Here, uh, I see see you, so I know I I won't, yeah, so thank you all. Let's thank thank all those who have been at work with the Foundry. And uh, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for those kiddos. We're going to pray for Krista as a representative of the Foundry today. And as the ushers come forward to prepare to receive the offering, we're going to pray together. Let's pray. Thank you. God, thank you for Krista and for what she represents standing before us. People like us who have said yes to uh, your possibility for others and uh, to do that for the sake of children who we might have not intended to neglect but also might not realize the potential in. Help you, thank you for helping us see that potential and for a place that pours into those kids and for the people who have said yes to that calling. We pray for them, we pray for a culture of love and grace, a culture of excellence and possibility We pray for every single child, every single family engaged with our work in the foundry. Would you bless them so that they may be a blessing as your work in them trickles out and uh, ripples out in acts of love and service and possibility in their leadership. Would you raise them up as a generation to serve this community? Bless them to be a blessing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.